Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. The Ukrainian troops on, on this side of the border are nervous. They're worried about what they describe as provocations. They say that the, the, the Russians are, and Russian-backed separatists are trying to goad them into a fight. And if you remember just a few days ago, the White House said and the Pentagon announced that Russia, it, it believed, had already infiltrated provocateurs into this country who could carry out a, a, an attack to deliberately cause a conflict, to, to deliberately give Russia a pretext to cross the Rubicon, to cross that border and invade Ukraine. That's Richard Engel of NBC News. It seems that the uh, the tensions between Russia and Ukraine and just the world in general have ratcheted up quite a bit in the last 24 hours. There are emergency meetings going on today. Now Europe is heavily involved, France and Germany, among others, in talking to Russia and Ukraine and trying to figure this all out. With all kinds of threats going various directions of san- sanctions and not starting up the Nord Stream pipeline, etc., to assess the military and diplomatic aspects of this thing, it's a great pleasure to welcome back to the show Mike Lyons, military analyst who's served with various military organizations uh, in the U.S. and Europe throughout his career. You've seen him on network TV, the rest of it. Mike, how are you, sir? Hey, guys. Great to be back with you. Happy New Year. Oh, yeah. And, and the same to you. Uh, first of all, uh, let's start with Vladimir Putin. What is his interest in Ukraine, whether legitimate or no? Yeah, he needs it from a monetary perspective. Um, you know, Russia is, is a dying country, unfortunately, in, in some places that covers 11 land masses with uh, 1,500, 2,000 nuclear weapons. It's got that on its side, but the uh, country's going in the wrong direction in a lot of ways. And so this is a money play, and it costs money to go to war, but he's figuring that the money he'll take out of Ukraine and what he'll get from it will allow his country to survive, uh, you know, maybe another decade or so. I mean, he's got a short lifespan now. Uh, and himself in that he realizes that it's, uh, he wants to you know, re- reunite the, the former Soviet Union, and this is how he's going to do it. I mean, it's very clear. They've moved troops now into Belarus and to the north. Um, they've got Ukraine totally surrounded with large number of troops, and from, from a straight military perspective, it's, it's just a matter of time. So uh, I was looking at your tweets. you feel like the whole Belarus angle is not getting enough attention that, and that it's important? Yeah, I think a couple things. So Belarus in the last year now has fallen out of favor with NATO. It's not one of those alliance partners anymore. So so that relationship has, has been shattered. Now, you, you look to the north again of, of Belarus, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, those are NATO countries. Poland on the border of Belarus. Now, Poland's going to feel threatened as a NATO country with Russian troops there. The Russians could possibly move nuclear weapons into Belarus. I think... I think Belarus is going to end up falling very quickly now uh, under Russia in terms of kind of like a new iron curtain, so to speak, or it's going to fall in their in their atmosphere as a very minimum and allow Russia now to attack Ukraine from from the north as people are going to try to leave Kiev. They're going to try to leave Ukraine, go probably due west, but they can't no longer escape from the north now at this point with that, uh, that kind of anvil at the top of their country now being being locked off. I'm going to jump to, like, maybe the biggest question that the average person who doesn't follow this stuff very closely wonders. Any chance we're militarily with actual troops pulled into this? Uh, I, I don't see it. We wouldn't get there on time. It'll be over before we could get 
troops to a boat to get them you know, anywhere near the place. We, we, there's not a chance. I mean, we're, okay. we, that, that, that ship sailed back in the 90s when we took 300,000 troops out of out of Europe. Um, we talk a big game. NATO NATO has tried to be this alliance now, and it's become too big and too wielding in terms of how it's intimidating. Uh, all, one of one of Russia's demands is to basically restore NATO back to what it was in 1997, which kicks out about 14 countries, kicks out all those Slovenia, kicks out Romania, Lithuania, the Estonias, uh, Hungary, Poland, and the Czech Republic. So, so you know, they want to set the clock back and because of what they feel the threat is. Now, we have some troops in these places, but nothing to the a matter of 127,000. We'd have to have 300,000 troops in order to try to do anything in Ukraine at this point. Well, to that demand of NATO, uh, with all due respect, Mr. Putin, go to hell. I mean, please, never going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hate to get political about this, uh, about this, but it does strike me that uh, I thought uh, Trump was the Russian stooge who Putin was right. running roughshod over and that, that uh, Biden would stand up to him. Yeah. No, and, and I think the other calculation that Putin's making is that he's probably only got about a year left of the Democrats running the country right now because the Republicans will come and take over the House and the Senate next fall, let's say. And if that happens without the president, it doesn't matter. You're just going to see a lot more Republican influence here. So, yeah, no, for sure. We were elected because Joe Biden was going to save NATO. It was going to be great. Um, and, he, and he was going to force them to back down. And, and it's just the opposite. It's like everything else. We've been gaslit from you know these people about what actually happened during the last four years in the Trump administration. And and um, now here we go. The shooting's going to start. So you've talked before about how many retired generals there are out there in the media. So there, there's an awful lot of them, and, and they mm-hmm. they there are a lot of different opinions among them. I've heard some opinions that Putin most likely is going to do something because this is way too expensive to just be a bluff. How do you feel about that? I, I agree. It is. It is too expensive. You can't um, move the amount of troops and the logistics he's moved not only close to the border, but uh, second and third tiers away from it there from what we've seen in satellite shots. And again, I bring back Belarus by moving troops in there and the, the threat he's making there. You know, we always knew he needed he needed Crimea because he has to have that warm water port uh, from for Russia to have any kind of formidable Navy power to be to project power throughout the world. Uh, so we knew that was going to happen, happen under Obama. Nothing was really responded to that. We could have moved troops into Poland. We could have done a lot more things back then to repair what, what was going to happen now. But I do think that at this point, similar to us, when we were moving troops uh, to Saudi Arabia and moving to these places, uh, the first thing I thought of is, like, you don't move that, that level of troops there without using them. So it's just, a matter, it's just again, I think it's just a matter of time. Wow. Major Mike Lyons is on the phone. Mike, I've heard it suggested that the U.S. might indeed arm uh, the Ukrainian forces to operate as guerrillas and perhaps make it so painful and financially draining for the the Russians that they have to pull out eventually or, or soften what they're doing. It's, you know, it is straight out of our playbook in Afghanistan uh, way back in the 80s, 90s. Uh, what do you think of that possibility? Well, I think it's a little bit more challenging because Ukraine's more of a developed country. It's a built-up area. They don't ha- That happened in, in Afghanistan because of the terrain because they were able to um, use the terrain against the, the Russian invaders at the point. But now Ukraine's got built-up areas. It's, it's a breadbasket. It grows wheat. It's not, it doesn't have the same advantages that you would from a 
from a you know, counterinsurgency perspective to try to do that. Um, I don't know how we're going to get that money in. The first thing he's going to do is like likely seal the border. He's going to own those areas within the Black Sea, Odessa, and places without you know. So supplies are not coming in from from water. He's he's sealed off the northern portion. It's going to come only from the east. I'm, I'm not sure how that stuff's getting there. And this is what this has come down to. And that's what the calculus is: is what's there now, what's going to get there in the future, and how fast can he close it off? It's just not the same kind of place to conduct a counterinsurgency. It's it's not it's not a desert of Iraq or it's not the mountains of Afghanistan. Ukraine is it built up areas that he can easily control with the forces he's got there. So we um, we are threatening all kinds of sanctions. Europe is threatening, and then uh, you know there'd be after the fact uh, loaning of arms and all that sort of stuff that we've talked about. But you said mm-hmm. it'd be over too fast for us to help, even if we wanted to. How do you mm-hmm. see this playing out militarily? Is it something that lasts days, weeks, months? How does how does that uh, look? Days to weeks or so, let's say. I mean, it, it, the kind of material and equipment that they have on their border there is in line with more of like a blitzkrieg, heavy armor, infantry, mobilized, mechanized infantry type operation that will move very quickly in, in, in areas that they'll bypass where there's any strongholds. Look, the Ukrainian military has built up. They've done certain things, but I think they're, we're setting themselves up to a, a big failure as well. Um, they'll just bypass any of those strong points and then, you know, hook back around them and then look to surround them and choke them off. Uh, so I just it's going to it's going to go too fast for us to try to think we're going to get anything there uh, with any time, with any kind of urgency that's going to help the Ukrainian military do what they need to do. You know, Mike, I'd like to circle back to one of the first things you said. You were describing how Russia is a decaying country, how it's uh, economically, you know, bordering third worldism. I did hear it uh, asked the other day by somebody, I can't remember who, do you have a single product in your home, in your garage, where you work, that was made in Russia? And the answer is yeah. absolutely not. Right. No, they're one, they're one trick pony, and that is energy, gas, um, you know, that pipeline is important to them. But um, at some point, this taking Ukraine brings another economic lever into them, and that's wheat and that's other other products that, that come out of the country that will likely you know be closed off initially. But look what sanctions have done to Iran. That's not, not stopped them. They still continue to fund terrorism. I mean, it, it, we continue to, to talk this good game with all these partners, but at the end of the day, some of these partners have to still do business with with Iran, and, and in some in some cases, the, the, the Germans again, for example, the Germans outsource energy. You got to be kidding me! You know they outsource their energy to the Russians here, and now they're talking about closing off the pipeline. This is just talk because at the end of the day, there's not going to be cold nights in Germany just because of this. They're just going to say, oh, you know, oh well, we're going to we'll figure it out, and uh, and we'll we'll continue to buy our energy from from the Russians after closing down all their nuclear plants. So, you know, you get woke, go broke is really what's happened to some of these, you know, these Western European countries. Final question. If you were in charge, do you think this is worth American lives? If, if we had the opportunity. Yeah, not one. Uh, at this point, it's, uh, it's unfortunate. It's the way of the world. It's, it's again, it's so many things could have happened in the past to not get this to, to this spot. But as you look at China with their 100-year view of the world, Russia's probably more 10 to 15 and how this has been going on you know, since then. The fact that they want to restore NATO back to 97 tells me that Russia has been looking at this for the past 20 years. But we're every four years. Every four years we decide to change, and, and we can't kind of figure out what to do there. So I, I, I think, again, the, the die has been cast for this to happen. 
Um, Ronald Reagan tried to foresee that back when he was president. For example, recognized the nuclear problem, did the disarmament. This is this transcends just the conventional side of Ukraine. It's the missile treaties that we don't have anymore with the Chinese and the Russians, and it's, it's all the other things that are going to escalate. There's an arms race that's going to take place once this happens, and the question is, how, how can we get the lid back on that as soon as possible? I'm, I'm not sure we have the intellectual capital, or I'm not sure we have the stomach to do that within this, this administration, at least, whether or not the next administration does, we'll see. It's an ugly world. Major Mike Lyons, a great follow on Twitter, by the way. Uh, Mike, it's always uh, great fun to talk to you. Thanks a million for making the time. Great guy. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. It's an ugly world, like Joe just said. It always has been. We had a brief period that we all got lulled into thinking, no, this is the natural state of things. Where everything, uh, you know, uh, one country wouldn't invade another country. No, that just can't happen anymore. And we got lulled into thinking that's the state of the world. No, this is the state of the world. The bully on the playground does whatever the hell he wants unless somebody can stop them. That's the state of the world. Right. And you can keep them out of your yard, but you probably can't keep them out of two yards away unless you're willing to fight them. And everybody's got to come up with their own self-interest. And like Mike Lyon said, no, no, not one not one American life is worth this. So, uh, you know, hey, Europe, you want to send some troops? Go ahead. Otherwise, eh, what are you going to do? Yeah. Interesting. And yeah, Putin knows that, too. Of course he does. Yeah, he's not much of a sentimentalist, Putin. Right. More like a reptile. I'm glad we talked to Mike because, man, this could happen at any moment, as the White House said yesterday. Uh, More on the way. Text line 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. And oh, one you of hate the to hear many Cowboys fans, one angry of the disappointed. That's hurtful. <laughs> one of the many, many, many angry Cowboys fans that have gone viral. Lots of women crying. That's very popular. Uh, oh yeah, Cowboys fan girls crying. Hilarious meme online. Uh, you know, it's funny. My dad, who's uh, getting on in years, he's he's eighty plus. Um, He's a Cardinals fan, so I called him to console him on the uh, Cardinals' humiliating loss the other night. Uh, and he said the one thing I was happy to see is the Cowboys lose. He's still pissed off about the Tom Landry America's team era. So, <laughs> yeah, the Cowboys. They're, they're they're there's like the Yankees, the Cowboys. I mean, they're in that they're in that league. Uh, maybe Dodgers, depending on uh, you know where you're in the country and how you look at it, but just teams where you know you, you're either on board with it or you hate those people, <laughs> and you like it when they lose. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the the crying drunk guy or the crying hot chick are very good memes for sports teams losing. Fantastic. Uh, I'm going to have something Joe hates next segment. Yes. About the likelihood all the way around of uh, Trump running, Biden running, since Joe's on board with saying neither one of them are going to run. But Well, uh, Trump, probably Biden, not a single chance in hell. More on that coming up. Disneyland announced they're raising their prices again. Fifth. 
ticket price raise in five years, fifth time in five years. The one day, one park ticket was 124 bucks five years ago. Then year by year by year, now it's going up to 159. That's a pretty big jump from 124 to 159 in five years. With a top tier set at 164. I'm not exactly sure what the top tier gets you. If that's the, I get to move up in line, or did they do away with that because it's socialism or something? I don't know. I, I don't. I've never been to Disneyland or Disney World, so. Yeah, I know. At one point, they decreed that it was unwoke to allow you know people to pay for certain access and all. But a guy once, a guy very recently said to me, "No matter what upgrade you have to Disney, there's somebody with a better one." So those things evidently still exist, but I don't know much about it. I hate crowds, so I'm not going. You go. I was at some theme park where I did that. I thought, you know what? I got lucky in my career. I got a couple bucks. I'm going to buy the move to the front of the line ticket. But man, oh, yeah. people people do not dig it when you when you walk past them. They've been standing there in the hot sun for an hour, and you and your kids just walk by them all and go to the front. That does not pe- make people like you. Let them eat churros, I said, like Marie Antoinette. <laughs> and we did eat a lot of churros. We were at Legoland, I think. If you churros don't, you're a fool. You don't eat churros or you don't pay to get the front of the line? No, eat churros. They're delicious. I'm a free market guy. If Disney can continue to pack the place at that price, well, then that's what they're going to do, and that's what they should do. Yeah, unless the PR for that hurts them and hurts their bottom line, why wouldn't they? If you have people who can't get in because you sell out all the time, raise your prices. Right, right. And if I think it's too expensive, I won't go. Simple as that. Um, a lot of pundits think there's 50% chance or better that it's a Biden-Trump rematch. Joe says no way. <laughs> we got some data on that coming up in a minute. If you miss an hour, grab the podcast, armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty. Okay, let me ask you about 2024. Do you believe that President Biden is up for the job? President Biden's running for re-election. I expect to support him. His approval ratings are some of the lowest that they've been for a very long time. I, I understand that, but remember, we've just finished the first quarter. We're just starting into the second quarter here. So we've got a lot of time, a lot of work in front of us. Oh, but you only have probably less than a year yes. uh, before you lose both the Senate and the House. Ah, All the polls, bite uh, your the tongue. Polls are... Elizabeth Warren saying Joe Biden will run and I will support him. Uh, she could have had a better answer on the poll thing. This is something I tell people. Yeah, I remember when George Bush was in the 30s and no way he could win re-election. And I remember when Barack Obama was in the low 40s after Obamacare and no way he could win re-election. I remember when Ronald Reagan, well, I've mostly read about this because I wasn't paying attention at the time, was in the toilet with all kinds of various problems and couldn't possibly win re-election. Lots of things can happen. So well, I'm, I'm not falling for that. senile old husks with a foot in the yeah. grave, Jack. I'm, well, I'm not falling for it based on the poll numbers. That is sure. not an argument. Anybody who's making that their argument, you're just ignoring the last four two-term presidents and the way it played out. You have no evidence to back that up. The fact that he's a senile old man, and uh, we're probably going to learn more about that later today as he's having a very rare press conference. Although it's our belief that Joe Biden is going to get his uh, debate shot in the ass, whatever that 
senile old man drug is that they give him. They gave him a big fat shot in the ass and... Because it worked, you know? He was more or less on his game in those debates. And uh, I do think there's some sort of brain medication they give him when he's got to be on. And they're going to do that today. And my guess would be he's adequate. It's guaranteed. Yeah, uh, I suspect you're right. He'll sound old. He'll say some things policy-wise I hate. But he won't, like, uh, you know, uh, stumble around and say bad a cafe care or whatever. Whatever. Well, he might. It makes a difference. Come on. So anyway, so you got that end of it. That uh, at least Elizabeth Warren is saying Joe Biden's going to run. Of course, what else is she going to say? She's going to say, no, I don't think he probably is. He's too old. (laughs) He was a lame duck the moment he took the oath. (laughs) Yeah, she's not going to say that, even though it's clearly true. But I thought this was pretty interesting from uh, Sarah Isger at the Dispatch, who's worked on several campaigns and knows a lot about this sort of thing. She says so much hinges on the Republican side with DeSantis, the governor of Florida, and whether or not he runs or not. And um, he's got to win re-election in Florida, but he looks pretty solid for that as governor. And then does he decide to run for the nomination as a Republican? He and Trump have been sparring, if you've been paying attention to that. Um, DeSantis said the biggest mistake he made as governor is locking down the way uh, Trump wanted him to at the beginning. So he's making himself you know, further to the side of non-lockdowns than Trump. And then Trump came back with, uh, you won't admit that you got the vaccine. You won't tell us whether or not you got the vaccine in the booster. You're a coward. That's some pretty strong stuff this early in the game. Sarah Isger wrote in the dispatch, all the, all this matters, and this is whether or not Trump gets the nomination, whether or not DeSantis run, because I think the whole field could shift dramatically if DeSantis chooses to run against Trump. Even though it was 2016 proved, Trump would be far more vulnerable in a one-on-one primary. DeSantis getting in would prove too tempting to the other sharks who smell blood in the water. So if DeSantis bows out, Trump looks pretty strong because a lot of other people probably won't get in either, and he's kind of alone out there. But if DeSantis gives in, all the other people, Cruz, Cotton, Abbott, Pompeo, are going to think, well, i got to get in, making Trump's chance of winning higher. It's ironic, I know, she says. Oh! Oh! So the irony is if the strongest candidate maybe against him does get in, you have the giant field where Trump has only got to get the plurality. You got five decent candidates. All he's got to do is get a bigger number than everybody else, which he probably would. Um, and he wins. So that's interesting. That's counterintuitive. Kind of a mind blank, though, isn't it? If if nobody else gets in, he wins, and if others get in, he wins. Yeah. Tell me that's wrong. I don't. I, that seems perfectly logical to me. I, I follow her reasoning, and I can't find a significant flaw in it. I'm, I still don't think he's going to run. You think all those other candidates would let uh, uh, DeSantis take on Trump one-on-one? No freaking way. No, absolutely not. They'd at least give it a try because the primary system is so, so unpredictable. Yeah. Now, your angle, if you don't think he's going to run, I haven't got the slightest idea. Uh, everybody's, uh, lots of people leaking to the media from supposedly inside Trump world that say he's absolutely going to run. He's doing all the sorts of things that people do run, but he's that kind of guy. He's the kind of guy that would fully play that hand as long as it does him any good and makes him relevant. Right. Knowing yeah, in the back think- of his mind he has no intention. 
he craves attention and he craves attention for his brand and the way you continue the fever level of uh, attention to the brand is you make it seem as though you're going to run for president again it just seems obvious to me now he might be running i'm not saying i know for certain he's not i think he's going to be another couple of years older he is quickly approaching 80 himself and he really likes his lifestyle um, so I, I tend to doubt it. There's no freaking way in hell Joe Biden runs, and anybody who suggests otherwise is a moron. There. Two, now, there's an unequivocal statement. Two quick, these are really like heavyweight political stories. you got to be into politics to care, I suppose. Beto O'Rourke has raised $7 million <laughs> since launching his campaign for Texas governor. That's a lot of money for a state governor run. And uh, Bernie Sanders came out and said yesterday he would back primary challenges to Senators Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin, two Democrats, a rare, maybe unprecedented thing where a high-profile senator comes out and says he'll back primary challenges to other senators of his own party as the left eats its own. Um, I want to talk about getting used to the suck. Getting used, getting used to the suck hmm. right after this. All right, a quick word tell- from our friends at Simply Save Home Security. And I was telling somebody about Simply Safe yesterday. Uh, they were looking for home security. I said, I just, uh, just, uh, first of all, you asking me about home security indicates to me that you're not listening to my radio program. So that's deeply hurtful. Secondly, let me tell you about Simply Safe and how fantastic it is. Yeah, it's has everything you need to make your home safe. Indoor and outdoor cameras, comprehensive sensors, all monitored around the clock by trained professionals who send help the instant you need it. Named the best home security system of 2021 by U.S. News and World Report. And right now you can get 20% off of the award-winning home security. And your first month is free when you sign up for the interactive monitoring service. Oh, man. Simply Safe helps you on so many different levels. Like when you go to the website and you're clicking around to customize for your home, they got help for there. They got help for setting the darn thing up, which you do yourself because it's that easy. And then all kinds of help if you need medical help, police, fire, or anything like that once you get your Simply Safe system up and running. Sleep better at night and keep the randos out your stuff. SimplySafe.com slash Armstrong. 20% off that first month free. SimplySafe.com slash Armstrong. You're going to like these folks. SimplySafe.com slash Armstrong. So get used to the suck. Here's my uh, philosophy I'm trying to adapt. I think that maybe many of us have fallen into a trap. I think I have. And can't get out because our love is too much baby. (laughs) Uh, Pop lyrics of some sort? That's Um, uh, Suspicious Minds, the Elvis Presley classic, of course. I don't know. His last number one. I don't know when I was thinking about this, over the weekend probably, um, between somebody in my family having Omicron and, like, can't get a babysitter and then school situations and the kids and the restaurant I was trying to go to, I get there and it's closed and it's just, I was really having a moment of, when the F is this going to be over? I mean, I've just freaking had it up to here with the whole damn thing. Um... But then I was thinking about, and a, uh, a quick aside here, um, we were discussing this earlier with Mike Lyons around the whole world order situation. We had a, a period of time where there was an Earl, a world order kept in place mostly by the United States power, but that is over for a variety of reasons, and we're going back to the way the world always has been, where tough, bad countries try to push around littler countries, and unless you stand up to it, lots of bad things happen. That's the history of the world, more than having a stable world order. And I was thinking about this around the whole Omicron thing. Omicron will be over at some point, 
But there's no reason. I'm kind of fooling myself if I think they're going to go back to a world where you know, there isn't the craziness, there isn't the um, uh, economic hardship, hardship or worry, um, stock market, interest rates, all that sort of stuff, health, all that sort of stuff. That's not really the state of the world either. I, I've been lucky to have been born into a period of time where things were pretty calm economically, um, uh, health-wise, certainly militarily. That's not the state of the world. There's no reason it's going to go back in my lifetime to ever being as comfortable it has, as it has been for most of my life. The 30 years war lasted 30 freaking years. People just had to get used to it. That's some good analysis. Right um, there. Uh, <laughs> um, the Great Depression, I'm sure when the stock market crashed in 1929, I'm sure there were plenty of businessmen around 1931 thinking, man, I can't wait till this is over and we get to get back to normal. And it lasted for like another dozen years and then World War II. I mean, there's just, there's no reason that things are going to get back to the happy, easy, healthy, safe, comfortable, predictable place that I lived most of my adult life. And, you know, you just got to get used to it and, and quit dreaming or waiting for that time when things calm down. And domestically speaking, low crime, low inflation. Right. We all got very yeah. used to that. Yeah, absolutely. Perfectly uh, fits in with what I'm talking about. All that stuff, it might not come back, or it certainly might not come back for a very long time. And 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 living life like any day now, things are going to get back to normal. I hate the term new normal, but it's pretty apt here. It, it, the new normal might just be lots of instability, crime, racial tension. You have no idea what's going to go on with the economy. Um, countries attacking each other. Just might be the way it's going to be for the rest of my life. So you suggest we embrace the suck. Embrace the suck or stop thinking about it or whatever. I don't know. Maybe I should talk to guy. You got to be even older than my parents. I don't know how many of those people are around, but don't you think that's probably true? Early on in the depression, most people had to be thinking, my boy, as soon as this is over, I'll be glad when we get back to normal. Sure. Well, that was all. Normal was a long way away, a long freaking way away. Right. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this gets back to one of the, you know, some of the very basic philosophies of being a human being. You just have to accept change and uncertainty and and a certain amount of rain falling, as they say. Uh, Yeah, I think the last 50 years have been a miraculous uh, period of history, honestly, especially for Americans and and our allies. And and over the the, the long arc of history, which bends towards justice, um, according to Martin Luther King Jr., um, over the long arc of history, it's way more an anomaly than normal. So getting back to an anomaly doesn't really make sense statistically. Right. Although, uh, you know, you could certainly argue that given uh, the difference between the modern world and the ancient world and the pace of change and all, it's difficult to say what's going to be normal going forward. If you look at, you know, human tendencies, it's ugly more than it's pretty. Uh, But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I hope I live long enough to see the next few chapters play out because it sure is interesting. Yeah, I'd say, well, the, the relationship between us and China and the world order stuff is definitely not going back. To the pre-COVID years. Definitely no way. not. No way. Not even close. So, I don't know. If you got any thoughts on that, text line 415-295-KFTC. It's my philosophy of embrace the suck. I might even get some t-shirts that say that. They'll probably outsell your yo-yo-yo t-shirts. <laughs> I don't mean to you know, be hurtful. Uh, other stuff to get to. Stay with us. 
Armstrong and Getty Show. A man in South Dakota was arrested recently after his mother served brownies that he made with marijuana butter at a senior center. Caretakers became suspicious when that night's comedian got laughs. That's an odd joke. So the President of the United States is having a rare press conference today, 4 o'clock Eastern. That's 1 Pacific. I like when people do that as if you're talking to adults that don't know how many time zones they are or can't do the simplest of math. <laughs> um, so we got this text from somebody who apparently was in Cabo or lives in Cabo. I don't know. Omicron hit Cabo about two weeks ago, went up to 600 cases a day. Yesterday, zero cases. Omicron should be called the TikTok virus. It spreads quickly, gone in a few days. Most people don't even know they had it. It's absolutely true. It's pretty true. funny. It rolls yeah, stop through. Stop calling about, it Omicron, but yes, I get it. It goes from you don't have it to it dominates to it disappears in a couple of weeks. And I happen to it live someplace. It seems to be happening over and over again, yeah. Yeah, if you're on the West Coast, well, if you're pretty much anywhere but the Northeast, you're in the beginning phase of the two weeks. And it's going to be a long two weeks, but then it'll be over. Yeah, the chief symptom seems to be boredom, judging from Judy and myself. Just because, you know, you can do outdoorsy stuff, but the weather's not, you know, super. And uh, But you can't do any of your indoorsy stuff you had planned, so we're just kind of kicking around the house. And I'm going to go ride my bike if the weather cooperates at some point. Oh, hey, you probably ought to be looking at this, uh, looking at this, uh, looking for this. We'll be talking about it more as the days go by. But some of the more extreme aspects of the transgender thing, uh, like uh, letting former dudes swim in the NCAA, for instance, uh, turns out there's no popular support for that. The reasonable, open-hearted American attitude of nobody should get hurt, abused, have their rights taken away, should be fired for who they are prevails but the crazier stuff the dudes showing their wangs in in spas in la the college swimmer thing a lot of the crazier aspects of it they have no support so what to do if you're in that extremist crowd well transgender activists plan to combat the they call it conservative messaging i would call it just reasonable common sense messaging and sway american sentiment on gender gender issues by quote weaving together race gender and class in a race class gender narrative according to a new report uh good they're writing about it at the daily signal and some other places but um Recently, Republicans have paired, this is now from the uh, gender activist people. Recently, the Republicans have paired these attacks with fear-mongering about critical race theory, mobilizing their base with a potent mix of racist and transphobic tropes. And so what they're going to try to do is, is make it clear from their point of view that racism is transphobia, is sexism, is racism and if you violate any of their demands and beliefs you're guilty of all of them it's a they're going to try to tie it all together in a giant enlightenment or you're a philistine who should lose your job a stew because there's so little support for the more out there stuff uh, the report proposes a solution 
a narrative that weaves gender into the highly successful race class narrative, quote, to tell a convincing story of how our opposition uses strategic racism and transphobia to harm us all. Using the race class gender narrative, we can mobilize our progressive base, particularly black AAPI. Does anybody know what that is? I don't know what that is. AAPI. Oh, okay. Black AAPI and Gen Z audiences marginalize our opposition and move persuadables across race. Uh, Asian American Pacific Islander. Oh, right. Of course. Yeah, I should know that. Oh, so, yeah, they're going to try to guilt the racial groups into also jumping on the big, beefy, former dude swimmer uh, cause. So I'm I'm not sure they'll get very far with that. I don't want to get off on the critical race theory rant, but you you mentioned it, and that's just a man. That's a burr in my saddle, and I did ride a horse to work, so it's uncomfortable. Um, I read some long thread the other day from one of your heavyweight blue checkmark Twitter people about how the proof that the whole Republican thing about critical race theory in schools was phony, and there's no critical race theory in schools. They're not teaching, they're not teaching white kids that that they're racists or black kids that white people are. What are you talking about? Do you know how many schools? I know a bunch of local schools. Do you know how many schools bought copies of White Fragility or that uh, that book, Anti-Racism? That's all you need. If those books are in the school, you are teaching racism in school. That's all I've you need. I've personally seen the curriculum sure. used by dozens, if not hundreds, of schools. You are wrong. You are a liar. I say I to know. those people. I don't know if they're a liar, but they're certainly wrong. Lying in the defense of extreme uh, political movements is is common, and and they accept that they're doing that. They can't. They don't have time for the truth. They're absolutely lying. A lot of them are. If you miss an hour of the show, pick up the podcast at armstrongandgetty.com. dot Armstrong and Getty.